Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christ, the hope of Jews and Gentiles. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol Him. Oh, just by the way, all of us in this room are probably Gentiles. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So reads the Word of God. Perhaps you grew up in a church and you remember the hymn, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. Anybody remember that? Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. Got a little catchy beat. Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. Great old hymn. There's a particular verse in that hymn that the writer says, I'm possessed of a hope that is steadfast and sure since Jesus came into my heart. And no dark clouds of doubt now my pathway obscure since Jesus came into my heart. He says, I'm possessed of a hope. How can you be possessed by a hope? You read that, and perhaps you read that hymn or that ideology, and it says, man, that's kind of bad grammar. You can't be possessed by hope, but you can possess hope, but how can hope possess you? But in truth, we know this, that in Christ, we have a marvelous sense of a hope that possesses us. Our hope is not merely wishful thinking, not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by, that we're trying to clutch onto. It is a sure expectation that actually takes a hold of us. So it is true there is a hope that actually possesses. A biblical hope, a Jesus hope is a confident expectation based on solid certainty. So we don't talk a lot about hope, we talk a lot about faith, but hope is a companion to faith. They're closely linked together. Hope is never inferior to faith, but ultimately hope is the groundwork of faith. It is the foundation that faith brings into our life. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you think about faith and you, in your mind you probably go immediately to Hebrews chapter 11.1, 1, at least in your, in your thought process. The Bible says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith infuses us, you and me, with a substance and an evidence that is no longer rooted in the temporal or the external. Let me say that again. Hope will root us into a reality that no longer depends upon the external, but depends upon what is happening internally. See, our growth as believers can be described as, over the course of your journey with Jesus, can be described as deriving less and less fulfillment and hope from the external and deriving more and more from the internal. Are you getting that? Your whole Christian life can be summed up this way. 
I'm deriving more hope from what's happening inside me than what is happening outside of me. Because when we first come to Christ, everything that you have done or had been doing, your fulfillment was only based on external set of parameters. That's why our lives stay on a roller coaster so much as we depend on external things. But we come to the kingdom and something marvelous takes place. It's described for us in Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Listen to this. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In fact, Dan Stone in his book, The Rest of the Gospel, he views it this way and gives this analogy. As you mature as a Christian, you're going through a series of gates. And every gate you come to requires you to let go of everything external to enter through it. See, that's why when many of us come to Christ, we come and we, and we put on our salvation, but we still have a lot of dependencies upon external things. And as we begin to mature in Him, we come to this gate of growth and says, God, I want, I, want, I want to grow. But God says, yes, but you're depending too much on the external. You need to depend upon the internal. And many of us have to let go of religion. Yeah. we got to let go of traditions of man, all the things that's been layered upon us externally, so then we can begin to not depend upon that any longer, but depend on what is internal. Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see, in this passage in Romans chapter 15, speaking primarily to Gentiles, which is most of us, it, it, it gives for us a, a picture of what this hope looks like. And this morning, I want to give you five things, and I, and, I, and I pray will encourage you deeply, as it has encouraged me over the past couple of weeks. These five things. One, the sight of hope. Number two, the source of hope. Three, the serenity of hope. The sufficiency of hope. And lastly, the supply of hope. Number one, the sight of hope. This passage says, in him will the Gentiles hope. Isaiah was writing of Jesus. He spoke in language that the Jews would understand that Jesus is the root of Jesse. You see, our hope always looks to Jesus as its focus. We sang about it a moment ago, in Christ alone will I hope in other words, Jesus is the source of all hope. Our hope looks to Jesus first for eternity. That's the first place we look to Jesus for is eternity. Listen to this passage in Proverbs 23, 17. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Our ultimate hope is an eternity with the Lord. We believe in the resurrection of the dead that Jesus is coming again. You realize that? We look to Jesus for our eternity and our eternal home. The ultimate place where hope will be fulfilled. A few months ago I was watching a show on TV and it was an interview type thing. And I don't remember all about it, but one thing struck me in this show. What they were doing was they were they were portraying the terrible racial persecution that is inflicted upon African Americans in the southern part of the United States. And in this particular film it depicted young people from the civil rights groups going from house to house in an African American community to get them to stand up for their constitutional rights and to register to vote. Now there was one particular old couple that they came to in this house that fascinated me. They were sitting on their front porch 
as these workers came up and they called all this on film and these, you know, young guys were saying, man, you need to, you need to come and register to vote, you need to vote. And it's this old couple, old African American sitting back on their rocking chairs, just rocking and drinking some lemonade. And the man looked at the young guy and said, listen, we're old in years, soon we'll be dead, then we'll be free. He didn't say it in anger. He said it in total confidence. He said, we're old in years, soon we'll be dead, then we'll be free. It reminded me of the words that are etched on the gravestone of Martin Luther King. Do you know what the words that are etched on his gravestone? Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I am free at last. You see, that's not to say that we are not to achieve great things here for the kingdom of God. But this hope that I'm talking about ultimately finds its place over there, not here. It's the hope we carry with us in spite of whatever trouble we're facing. Whether it's racism or prejudice or whatever the case may be, there is a hope that exists for the people of God. That is a Sabbath rest for the people of God that we can diligently enter into and rest in Him. And those guys, that old couple really got that. They weren't angry. They weren't bitter. They understood something. We fought the good fight. We finished our course here. But ultimately there is still much work to be done here. But yet I have a realistic expectation of I'm not getting hope from here. I'm not getting hope from the Constitution. I'm not getting hope from the Supreme Court. I'm getting hope from the Kingdom of God. And I'll be free there. That's the place. Our hope is not in this old world. It is an, it is an eternal hope of a place that's better than this one. Think of this thought for a second. For the Christ follower, this place we live will be the only hell we will ever know. Isn't that great? For those of you that are following Jesus right now, this place called earth is the only hell you will ever know. But conversely, for those who are unbelievers, this will be the only heaven they will ever know. You see, hope looks to Jesus for our eternity. But it doesn't stop there. It looks to Jesus for this life as well. Hope in the midst of this place. We were sharing this morning in our class, Elevate class, we were talking about the difference between just knowing something and having this surpassing knowledge of the love of God that surpasses knowledge, how we live in the midst of that. You see, many of our Christianity, our, much of our Christianity is like an like a, like a old iron bed, right? You've got the iron post on either end. We've got one iron post that says, I am saved and going to heaven. You've got the other iron post that says, everything is going to be all right in heaven. But unfortunately the mattress is sagging terribly. In other words, what happens in between those moments? What happens in the in-between time of knowing Jesus and being saved and having this understanding of a hope for heaven? There's actually a life in between those two points. And just like your rest is dependent upon the quality of your mattress, so your rest and peace and hope in God through this life is dependent upon what you believe about these things and what you understand hope to be. If you sleep on an uncomfortable mattress, you're going to have a miserable day. If you sleep on a comfortable message, a mattress, you'll have a good day. In fact, I told my wife, I said, if, when our ship comes in, I'm going to get a sleep number bed. Because <laughs> I'm convinced she and I do not share the same sleep number. <laughs> we look to Jesus for hope in this life, in this place of rest that carries us. Not only do I have one who will walk through the veil of death with me, but I have one who is beside me every step of the way in this life. 
My hope is not in men and what they can do for me. It is ultimately fixed upon Jesus Christ. What is my hope for my lifetime? What is the hope for my children, for my grandchildren, for my family, for those around me? There is only one hope, and that person is Jesus. If you don't know Him, you will not know hope. Not a lasting and a true He is the only hope. Our hope looks to Jesus. In Him, Gentiles will hope for eternity and for the life that we live. Our source is Him. Our sight is Him and His hope. Number two, He's not only the sight of our hope, there is the source of hope. This passage tells us that God is a God of hope. He says, may the God of hope. This speaks several things about who God is. Number one, God's nature is hopeful. His nature is hopeful. God is by nature full of hope. He is a, he is a hopeful God. Now that's an odd statement to make about Him. But let, to gain a little understanding here, check out Romans 8.20. Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. In other words, because of, this, of sin, this old world has been subjected to a process of deterioration. Do you think that's true? Because of sin, the whole world, everything here, has been subjected to a process of deterioration. Let me ask you just a simple basic question. What material did God use to make humans with? Dirt. Therefore we are made of what? Dirt, and therefore we are what? We're dirt bags. <laughs> we are deteriorating. Some of you may say this morning you are living, I say you're dying. Every one of us in this room is dying. Do you understand that? You are dying, and I am dying. This flesh is attached to this earth, and as it is deteriorating, so are we deteriorating. Romans 8 puts it this way, that the outward man is deteriorating. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are deteriorating. Regardless of how much makeup you put on, or how often you color your hair, or how buff you make your body, you are in the process of deterioration. Now that can be upsetting news, or it can be, a, it can be some news that will really set all of us free. Because we are all deteriorating. Now may I just take a, a rant for a moment, just run a quick rabbit trail? Just real quick. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. You know what I believe in? I believe in the gift of healing. I believe in the gift of physical healing. Don't you? But do you realize the gift of physical healing is the only gift of the Spirit that directly impacts the part of you that is deteriorating? In other words, it runs up against another bumper. In other words, every physical healing is a temporary healing. When you study it out, all the other gifts of the Spirit speaks directly to the inner man that's being renewed every day. But can I tell you, your outer man is not being renewed every day. Every pound you gain, every hair that turns loose or turns gray, every lens you have to get corrected in your eye proves the fact that you are deteriorating. Thank God that He heals temporarily, but God also heals permanently, right? There is a temporary healing, so rejoice and pray for temporary healings, but recognize, oh, they are but temporary. Because there is a permanent healing that is coming. You see, it's very easy because I have been in this long enough now for 32 years. I have seen some incredible temporary healings. Incredible ones. And I have seen some incredible permanent healings. 
as saints of God has, have breathed their last and gone on to glory. You see, that's how I've become to qualify all healings, physical in nature. There are temporary healings, and there are physical healings. You understand that? Because no matter how much God heals you temporarily, it is temporary. Because it runs up against another anchored truth in Scripture that the outer man is wasting away. It is appointed unto man wants to die, right? It's going to happen to every single one of us. But the truth is this, we exist for the glory of God. Whether it is a temporary healing or the grace to help me endure the deterioration process until the permanent healing. Did you get that? In other words, we exist for His glory. Whether He wants to glorify Himself through a momentary temporary healing or whether He's going to glorify Himself through the grace to endure the deterioration process, God can still be glorified on either side of the equation. You see it? Why is this important? Because if we put all of our hope and we anchor ourselves only to temporary healings, you have by way designed a system for yourself where you're going to experience great disappointment and disillusionment. Why? Because it's only temporary. You see that? Get that in your hearts, man. Because if your whole faith rests on a temporary healing, and you may get it, but something else is going to happen. Because the outward man is wasting away. We trust and we believe and we stand and believe for temporary healing. Why? Because we want to live here longer so we can glorify God longer. But can I tell you, there's a glory that comes for the kingdom of God that is better evidenced in a man or a woman suffering through the deterioration process with the grace of God than even in temporary momentary healings. You hear what I'm saying? We exist for the pleasure of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My life says this, Lord, I'm going to believe for temporary healing, but ultimately, Lord, glorify Yourself through me, and I trust how that's going to look. Our hope is not merely wishful thinking, is it? It really does exist in a practical way for us in the here and now. God knows the end from the beginning, and His confident expectation of the success of the gospel, which He has already seen and put into motion, is called hope. God understands these things. He is the God of hope. When all others would have seen no other option but destroy the world because of sin, God saw another plan. And it's called hope. By nature, God is hopeful. Secondly, He is the supplier of hope to us. Where does this hope come from? As the God of hope, He is able to pour His hope into our lives. All the hope we'll ever need, He is our resource in times of trouble. It's a hope that doesn't wane. Christ in us, this hope of glory and the resource and the supply comes, as we'll see in a moment, from the power of the Holy Spirit. His nature is hopeful. He is the supplier of hope. And thirdly, He instigated the great hope. This was God's idea. In the original Greek in this passage, the word hope is followed by the definite article. In effect, it's like us putting the the, T-H-E, in front of a noun. So it actually literally reads, now the may the God of the hope, the hope. He is the God who has sent Jesus to bring salvation's plan. There's no other hope because it is the hope. Anything else you put your confidence in, friends, will let you down. The more we put our hope in external things, the more you will be let down in your life, the more you will be disappointed. I dare say the disappointment factor in your life and my life can be measured on the factors of how much hope we place in external things. 
Man will let you down. Politics will let you down. Your health will let you down. Your wife will let you down. Your kids will let you down. Your 401ks will let you down. Your next door neighbor who doesn't ever cut their grass, they will let you down. And you get disappointed. But there's something about becoming a person, a Christ follower, who is leaning on Christ in me, the hope of glory. What does this hope do? It's a hope that will never disappoint you. How would you like to live a life without disappointment? Wouldn't it be something if you could like eradicate disappointment from your life? Do you realize that it's actually possible to achieve such a life in this place by some measure? Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint. This is the hope I'm talking about. This hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This hope does not disappoint. God never disappoints those who put his trust in him. He is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. It's an abiding hope. He is the site of hope. He is the source of hope. Number three, he is the serenity of hope. The serenity of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Have you ever heard some people talk about their hope for the future and it seems to be defined or is uh, reasoned out of this idea to promote my own misery in this place? Or people will kind of say it like this, oh, one day I'll be happy. Just over the rainbow, one day it'll all come together for me. Then it will be wonderful. But I'm going to be miserable right up until that day. <laughs> In other words, our hope for something else actually becomes the fuel to make us miserable now. Isn't that horrible? This is not our position. Oh yes, we look forward to an eternal hope that is far better than what we have here, but we're not waiting for it miserably. Full of discontent. No way. Because our hope is an absolute certainty. Now we can have joy and peace here and now. Do you believe that? Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Eternal life for us has already begun so we can rejoice in this hope. Jesus' words are very clear. He says throughout the scripture that indeed the kingdom of God is within you. For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are the things that are to characterize our lives, not misery and discontent. Can I just tell you, it's not spiritual, it's not virtuous to be miserable. There's nothing edifying or good or a good representation of Jesus than walking around miserable. It's not spiritual to be miserable. It's not how we are to live. As much as I like the song, I will not sing just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. <laughs> Coming forth to carry me home. Just a few more weary days and then. Don't you want that on a coffee cup in the morning? Just a few more weary days and then I'm going to fly away. Hallelujah. But yet many of us put such a hope into the future, we miss out what God wants us here and now. For us, our living hope should keep us in constant joy and peace. Let me tell you something about joy and peace. Joy that doesn't rest on happiness and peace that doesn't depend on tranquility. 
You realize that? There's a joy that does not depend on happiness, and there's a peace that does not rest on the tranquility of your circumstances. There's a joy and peace that is anchored to Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you can walk through regardless of the situation. It's the serenity of hope, the peace that we have through hope, the sight of hope, the source of hope, the serenity of hope. Number four, the sufficiency of hope. The sufficiency of hope. That you may abound in hope, the Bible says. This word abound in the Greek word is persio, which means to superabound, to, to have in excess. You see, the early church evidenced this abundance of hope because whenever they would meet together, they would greet each other with these words, Maranatha. The Lord is coming. In other words, they live with this sense of expectancy. Jesus is coming. And, and hope became for them the manna by which they endured the fiery ordeals of this life. You see why hope is so important? Because this life is inundated with fiery ordeals. But there's a hope that carries you through them. They expected Him daily. They lived in that hope. Moving quickly. Lastly, the supply of hope. The supply of hope. In recent days we've talked a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit. And this passage says, by the power of the Holy Spirit is where this comes from. The reason we want you to experience the goodness of God through the power of His Holy Spirit, because when you begin to experience His power, you're going to experience more hope. The word power here, we get the, from the Greek word, you know this, dunamis. It's the word we get dynamic from. It's the word we get dynamite from. It speaks of dynamic energy. Our abundant hope is created and released in our lives by the dynamic energies of the Holy Spirit that work within us. It is the Spirit who enables believers to experience this hope in real time. In real time. In this moment this hope becomes a reality for you. A substance and an evidence of that which not is but it is inside of you. It sustains you in these times, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.5 says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Spirit-filled Christians ought to be the most hopeful people in the world. The hope, we should be full of hope. We should, hope should be spilling out on everybody we talk to. Because we are a people of great hope. Hope is the if you will, the primal energy that thrusts its way through the lives of Jesus' followers. Because we, we can speak into any situation or any circumstance and bring hope into it in my own life and into the life of others. You know how wonderful it is to sit in front of a person going through a difficult time and have a message of hope for them? Because sometimes as we as ambassadors of hope become the aroma of Christ and we begin speaking of hope to them in Jesus, sometimes that is a burst of light into somebody's darkness. When a person begins to see hope, they begin to see light, and the light begins to illumine a path, and that path will always lead to Jesus. That's why it's so important that we carry hope with us. Because so many in the world around us, people are hopeless. They are lost. Their dependence are only in external things because they don't know Jesus. And then when they begin to see hope, they see light, and we know who that light points to. It's Jesus. We are ambassadors of hope, not ambassadors of misery. A very present help in times of trouble is who our God is. Our faith produces substance, and that will sustain us through it all. Amen? This morning you're in for a real treat because I want you to hear a testimony of, of how this hope 
is actually worked out in what takes place. So Kent, would you come for a moment and just uh, grab that mic right there and I want to grab this stool. I'm going to just put it right here next to me. We're going to do this kind of an interview uh, fashion. And I want you to be encouraged this morning by what the Lord's going to say to you through overcoming through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Thank you, Bunny. All right. <laughs> you may not know uh, Kent, but if you've been coming for a while, you have probably seen him and his wife in a wheelchair. They're often sitting over, over there somewhere. Right? Do we have a, a picture of Sandy? There she is. Who's seen Sandy before? All right, we've seen Sandy. So perhaps you've uh, noticed her, and um, she has MS. So would you give us a quick, just a quick little diagnosis there? Yeah, she, she was diagnosed in, in 1991. And uh, she has a progressive MS, so gradually over time, she tried every medication you could possibly try, and she's always trying anything to, to, to overcome. And uh, she went from going to uh, a cane, then to a walker. In the last 11 years, she's been in a wheelchair. And uh, so it's been 25 years. And it's, she has progressive MS, so it's gradually, slowly been harder each year, um, but she does not not let that define her. So she's had MS for how long? 25 years. 25 years. So Sandy was diagnosed with this that long ago, and um, it has been a testimony 25 years in the making as she has walked this out. And I recently, you gave me a, a copy of a magazine where she's actually featured in this magazine. As I was reading it, I was, I was amazed to find out something that she said in this MS magazine that goes out to a pretty large publication. And she says in this article, she says that she was not going to allow MS to define her. She says in here, God did not give it to her, but he was the first one there when, when the diagnosis it. came. When she got it. And you know, and you, and you, and you begin to see her life as I've yeah. observed over the short term, and you find a, find a person who did not allow the sickness to define her. It's true, just how long ago was it for her birthday? She went zip lining. That's right. Tell us yeah. about that. Well, we, we looked all over the state and nobody would do it. And we found a guy up in Helen that said, you know, if she's willing, we're willing. So they, they went through a lot of process to, to get her up to the top of the mountain, and we carried her up 18 steps to a platform. And we have a, we, we have a video that maybe someday we'll show that she went 45 miles an hour, a half a mile, on May the 26th. Yeah. Yeah. Doing that. Now, also understand now, she's in a wheelchair yeah. and has, this isn't somebody in the early yeah. stages of MS. This no, is somebody that she, she doesn't have any use of her left arm. She can just move her right arm. Um, no legs. No legs. No. And, but she's the house manager. Don't forget that. She's <laughs> <laughs> Zip line for her birthday. So a yeah. couple of months ago, um, she had on her heart that she wanted to be water baptized. And yeah. so you're thinking logistically, um, how are you going to pull that off? But she was insistent upon, upon this. And she would not. She, we started to take the wheelchair into the water. She said no carry me into the water, that wheelchair is not going in the water. That's crazy, isn't it? So now, awesome. And I think, I think we got a picture of that uh, day right there, too. Of, um, we uh, found a lake, and we were able to get her out into the water and to baptize 
her. Yeah. Let me tell you, this is a, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This is a person who, who, uh, who has such great hope. And it's just been a testimony, 25 years in the making. Just to add one of the things that most people may not know is as a result of this, they started a ministry of buying handicapped vans from people who don't need them anymore, refurbishing the vans, and helping to get them into hands of people that need them. Just something that you guys do on the side. Yeah, well, that's been her mission is we'll, we'll buy a van, we'll make a little bit of money on it, we'll put that aside, and after we do about four of them, we give one away, and we've given three away so far. Yeah, it's a great Yeah, it's crazy. So I shared something with you guys a little bit earlier about bringing the glory to God. You know, Sandy has always wanted a temporary healing, and we continue to pray for that. We continue to seek that. But in the meantime, she lives for the glory of God. And, and over the past couple of weeks, some, something really spectacular has happened that I wanted you guys to hear about and let it be an infusion of hope into your hearts and souls. So tell us about the two weeks that began okay. with a lightning bolt. Yeah, well, it so a little bit before yeah, that, just a tad before that, but two weeks ago yesterday, um, she, MS sometimes will cause a lot of nerve pain. And she was in so much pain, it was like she wanted to give up. And this lady does not want to give up, ever. But I didn't know it was an infection that was causing her to feel that way. But she, she was crying, and she doesn't ever cry. And she said, I can't take this anymore. I'm done. I can't take it. So our group, our Ecclesia group, came on Sunday, and they've never seen her cry. They've always seen her happy. And she was at her wit's end, and she said, I can't take this. And they started praying for her. Our group has been great. But one of the guys, Renee, came to me and said, you got to reach out. You need to tell us what's going on because we need to pray. It's about praying. And I said, okay. And they're praying for her again twice in that day. And the next day, a visiting nurse came to the house on the Monday. And I realized from something that he did that she had a bad infection. So I called the doctor. The doctor called in. Cipro for a, a wicked UTI, and I thought, okay, if, she's, if she feels better on Tuesday, then I'll go on my trip. So I went on my trip up to Knoxville, drove back. It was a 10-hour trip. I got back 8 o'clock on Tuesday night, and she was a mess. She was a mess. And I said, we got to go, and we usually wait till the next day if she has problems because she's stronger in the morning. But I said, no, we got to go. So we, we got her down to Piedmont Hospital. And as we drove into the Piedmont Hospital, now, my friends know I'm a big storyteller, but I'm not going to tell a story. I'm just going to say exactly what happened. We pulled into the hospital. It was pouring down rain. And the guy comes out, and there's 20 people in there. And I knew I didn't want to get behind them because she was sick. She was in trouble. And he came out with a wheelchair, and I said, she's got to get in the bed because if we wait in that line behind 20 people, it's just you know, it's not going to work. So he said, she's getting in the wheelchair. And I said, she's getting in the bed. We need a bed. He goes, she's getting in the wheelchair. I go, we need a bed. And a lightning bolt and thunder shook the building. And three people got up and ran inside. I'm not kidding. And, and I said, Sandy, do you remember that? She goes, oh, how could you forget it? That was, and it was like God was sending a sign saying, here comes the week. You know, this is what's going to happen. So we went in Tuesday night. It was 10 o'clock. Her blood pressure was 73 over 43. 
which is very low. She was very cold, and for 12 hours, because we could not get in the hospital because we were 16 deep, they were full in the hospital, for 12 hours, it kind of declined a little bit, and at 9.30 in the morning on Wednesday morning, the ER doctor came in and he said, it was 60, 69 over 39 was her blood pressure at the time, and he said, she might, we see that she doesn't have it in her bloodstream, the, an infection, but if she gets sepsis and it goes into her, her organs, she's going to die right in front of her. And I said, oh. So I got up and I went out and uh, I, I called till I got the same elder that got in front of my face and said, call me. And I said, she's in trouble. We need to raise the blood pressure. We've got to take it up. You know, and, and, and then I was also conflicted, like, what am I praying for? Am I praying for Will to, that, to take her? Or I, and we even talked about on the weekend, I said, what's fair? You know, we grant our pets mercy, but what do we do for people? You know, and, and it really bothered me. You know, we even talked about what people do to, to grant mercy for other people. But basically he said, you know what? You know, we have dominion over our pets, but God has dominion over us. So we're going to pray for healing. And it turned me, and we started praying, and we started praying. And I went inside, and I sat there, and I watched the phone just buzz. He sent it out to all of the Ecclesia members and all the church that could get it. And all of a sudden, my phone is just buzzing from 9.30 to 10.30. It's just buzzing. We're praying for healing. We're stopping. We're stopping doing what we're doing. We're praying for healing. And I watched her blood pressure go up. It just went up. It was, went to 91 over 70 in 45 minutes. And the doctor came back in, and he said, hold on, that's wrong. And he goes and he checks it, and he did this, he checks that, and he goes, something happened. I'm like, yeah, something happened. Yeah, and, and so we get, one doctor came in and saw her, and she saw her the next day on Thursday, on the floor, and she couldn't believe it. She, she was double taken. She, she said, there's no way somebody can turn like this in 24 hours. Sandy was upbeat. She was fired up. She was doing good. She's feeling great on Thursday. He goes, but you know what? We got a problem. He said, she said, I think she, she tested positive on the blood disease too. So we're, we're battling two totally different things. She has a port here, and he said that might, she said that might be an infection here. So we got to look at both these and put her on all these antibiotics, but she's feeling great. So thinking forward, her 60th birthday's in May, we're planning, she can't get out of the bedroom maybe twice a week, she wants to go to Europe. So we're planning a trip, I'm booking it, and, and, and I'm just putting it on the points, I'm thinking forward, you know, this is where we're going. No matter what we do, this is where we're going. So she's fine. She's fine Thursday. She's fine Friday. They're still trying to figure out a blood disease. They're trying to figure out this UTI. They've got her on all this stuff. And Saturday comes, and we're still talking about this trip. And she says, you know, I feel weird. And this is October the 1st, a week ago yesterday. She says, I feel weird. I said, okay, let me look at your drugs. I said, you didn't, they messed up and didn't get the, the estrogen, and that's just something you need. So let me run out to the car and get it. So I go out to the car, God help me. I came back in and she was non-responsive. I mean, nothing. She was, her, she had a pulse and a blood pressure, but she had nothing. She was like, she was unconscious. 
And I was screaming at her, and I'm saying, Sandy, Sandy. And I called the nurse in, and she's all of three months as new as a nurse, but her father's a Methodist minister, so God bless her. And we were all sitting there, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs at her. And so she calls STAT, and in comes six people. And they're all like doing all this stuff. They, they did this sternum rub where you put your knuckles right in the sternum as hard as you can to wake the person up if they're half in or half out. And she's nothing. She's, she's not there. Then they look at, they were prying her eyes, and her eyes were popping back shut. So they said, that's good. And I'm sitting over in the corner, and I just started typing. I'm like, Sandy's in trouble. Please pray now. Sandy's in trouble. Pray now. And I called your dad, and, and I said, call your son and tell him to pray. And you sent me back praying. And, and I was just, and she, the doctor said the next day, she said, you were the only one who was calm. And I wasn't calm. I was just trained from earlier in the week that I got to pray because I don't have anything else. I don't know what to do or how to help her. So the doctor, they, they look in her eyes and they all get worried. They're all like, did you see her pupils? And I don't know what that meant. But the doctor sent her down to a brain scan. And it was, it was 1030 when this started. He sent her down at 11 o'clock. I went out in the hall and I, I called Dustin he was in the garden. Now, obviously, I've heard that he doesn't go outside, but he was in the garden. So I called my elder, and I had been talking to our church group the whole time, and, all, and thank God he said, reach out. And I said, Renee, she's in trouble. And I was crying, and he started crying, and I said, pray. You got to pray. So he starts praying really hard. And he started sending it out to everybody. And Polly, Polly sent out an email, and it just so happened that our group was over at, at the guy's house who has MD helping them. And they said, stop. Everybody stop doing what you're doing, period, and just pray. So she comes back up, and they don't know what to do. They're at a loss. So they leave. And I'm in the room myself with her from... 11.30 to 11.55, and I'm singing to her. I'm rubbing her head. I'm, I'm just, like, praising God. She looked so peaceful, but she wasn't awake. And she starts to sob. She, a sob comes on her face, and I said, I screamed at the doctor. I could see her out there. She comes running in, and, and I said, what's going on? And she said, she's waking up. Okay, so she starts to sob and then she starts to cry and she's bawling. I mean, crying. And the doctor says, what's your name? Can you hear me? And she nods and she says, Sandy. And she said, move your fingers. And she moved her finger. And then she starts crying and crying and crying. And we're just sitting there. And I said, Sandy. I said, why are you crying? And she said, Jesus sent me back for him. Out of nowhere, Jesus sent me back for him, and I didn't want to come. And I said, oh. and then she said, I saw my mom and dad. I saw my mom in her green apron. Her mom died of cancer in a really bad way, but at her green apron when she was cooking, she was at her best. And she at times had smiled, and the doctor said, Later to her, she said, I saw you smiling. And she said, what? She goes, because it was a wonderful place. It was so high. She cried for two hours. It was like she fell 50,000 feet. She was in a whole nother world in such a great place. 
And it was just so fast. It was so wonderful, but it was so, they didn't have a clue what happened. So the next day, Sunday comes, and the doctor comes in, and I go, what, what happened? And the doctor said, well, when we looked at her eyes, and her eyes were, pupils were huge. She said, when somebody's in a coma, they put the light in there, and the, uh, and the pupil restricts. They're still alive, but they, they can't, they, they're brain dead. So what I did is I looked in her eyes, and the pupils didn't, well, first of all, when, I when she pronounces somebody dead, their blood pressure is gone, their pulse is gone, but their pupils are dilated, but they don't restrict. She said, when I looked in her eyes, her eyes didn't restrict and her eyes showed she was dead. And I said, okay. So she sent her down for a brain scan and she said, the brain scan showed she was fine, that she was perfect. She said, that's not medically possible. That, could, that can't happen in the, in the medical world. She said, Sandy, you're a miracle. So over time, I would ask her, I'd say, what did it feel like? Did you go to the light? She said, no, it's left or right. She's very direct in everything she says. It's left or right. I'd like, go left to Jesus, right back. I, I said, so what did it feel like? And she said, well, my body, you know, like when you see people, when they draw a chalk around a body when they're dead, she said, my body was a corpse. And I said, then you're out of body. And throughout the week since then, that was last Sunday, she has had things happen that just, it's like an earthquake went off on Saturday. And then Tuesday when I went to get her out of the, you know, to take her home, I went into the bedroom or, or I came out of the bathroom and I was ready to take her. And she was looking the same way she did on Saturday. She had her head back, her eyes were closed, but she had a big smile on her face. And I just sat at the end of the bed and I thought, all right, Lord. First of all, I don't even know why it happened because she was doing better. There was no reason for it to happen on Saturday. I thought, hey, are we here? Is this, is this it? And she said, and, she, and she's, she's laying there. And I started singing, blessed be the name of the Lord to her just over and over. And she started moving her hand. And I knew it wasn't like Saturday because she was moving. And she opened her eyes and she said, let's go. And I said, Sandy, where were you? She said, my dad was messing with me. We were having so much fun. He's such a card. And I said, yeah, your dad was fun. I mean, he passed in 2005. And she felt these spirit kind of things. It's just like this, this flow of what God is doing all, uh, all week. And I didn't know if she, she's, she's watching now. I love you with all my heart. And, I, you know, she's real weak now. And... Uh, she, but she's feeling better. I mean, our Ecclesia group, I said, do you want them to come on Sunday? And she said, she said, they have God in their heart. They got to be in my house. So when we get home, I mean, she's got a port access here. She'll come out and just love on and love on our group. But, you know, I, I, I got nothing. I, I have no other than I know what I saw, where she was at and where she came back and the joy she has from that that if anything happens, if you die tomorrow, I'm good because you know Jesus Christ and she went there. So she's good and you're good. 
And the other thing is, the, the one feeling that I have is, why us? You know, I mean, I think about all the sins, and, and, and I, I didn't deserve that. I'm very humbled by it because, because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't deserve it. And, th- and then the third thing was the power of prayer. I mean, I prayed really hard Sunday morning, and I was crying and praying over, and I said, God, you got to give me a word. you, you got to tell me what this is. And he said, he basically, he didn't say it. He put it on me. He said, you've witnessed a miracle by the power of prayer to God. Hallelujah. 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 I was with Sandy yesterday and I was sitting beside her bed and the Lord had been putting hope in me for, for, for the last couple of weeks. And I'm realizing, and this is, this is what that's all about. And I, and I asked Sandy, I said, Sandy, so, you know, what was it like? You know, what, 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 was it, what was it like when you were with him? And she looked at me and she said, she said, I've just never felt so loved. She said, I've never said just loving on each other. It was just, she said it was indescribable. I've never felt so loved. And basically, Jesus said to her, said, I need you to go back for me, for me. Isn't that powerful? You see, this is a person, for 25 years in the making, God has been constructing a testimony. Testimony. They have prayed, I know just since I've known them for a couple of years, they have actively sought God for a temporary healing. They have. They've actively sought God, and they continually, actively, as we all should, but yet... It has not come like they've asked for, but in some way something far greater has occurred. That her life has become a witness of the grace of God that has given her the ability to endure, right, this deterioration of the flesh with such honor that the testimony is being magnified over and over and over and over. Ultimately because of this, as she said in this little article, she said, I am not going to allow this sickness, this hopeless situation, to define me. My brothers and sisters, if there was a lesson to be learned from Sandy is this. Don't let your hopeless situation define you. Right? Don't. Don't. Let God. Let God define your hopeless situation. And that is the construction of a testimony. You see, when God begins to define our hopeless situations comes the testimony for it is all for his glory. And she doesn't want she doesn't want that spotlight. She said it a couple of times. And like Dustin told her yesterday, you're not the spotlight. You're the arrow to God. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Gosh, I'd like the worship team to come and be ready. You know, as, as, as we were praying for this service, you know, one of the things I was saying, Lord, I know this morning there are, there are some folks here today, and you are in front, are in, are in the midst of what the world would tell you is a hopeless situation. You may have a medical diagnosis. You may have a psychological diagnosis. You may be looking at a situation where your marriage is failing. I don't know. There's a, there's a list of a thousand things. And you're feeling a sense of hopelessness, despair, discouragement. And the Lord specifically gave us that God wanted to, to infuse into your heart today a fresh sense of hope.
that's anchored not in an external circumstance, but anchored in an internal circumstance, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the inner man that's being renewed day by day by day. You see, sometimes we attach so much to our outer situation changes, and sometimes our outer situation doesn't change. It just doesn't. Sandy, we have prayed, we've anointed, we prayed for that temporary healing, we have prayed, and it has not come. So what am I to deduce from that? That God is mean and angry? No, right? That I deduce from that, all right, God, to God be the glory, great things He has done. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing the fiery furnace, they were having this conversation as young men with King Nebuchadnezzar. And ultimately what they said was, O King, whether God delivers us in the fire and grants us an ultimate healing, or whether God delivers us through the fire and grants us a temporary healing, we will not bow to you, O King. We will not bow to you. You see, that's what hope does for us. It gives us the ability to look square in the eyes of a hopeless situation, whether it's MS or whether it's MD or whether it's divorce or whether it's rape, incest, murder, I don't know what it is, but I will not bow to you. I will not be defined by you. You will not define my life. And Sandy's life, as long as God gives her breath in this physical world, 25 years, this testimony that God has constructed by His grace and her willingness to choose the internal and not the external, now we have a testimony before us. It doesn't make her any more special than any one of us in this room right now, except for one thing that she chose to do. She chose to say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Because I don't look at it out here, I look at it in here. And because of that, you sit beside her bed, and she radiates hope. And I said, Sandy, because you have walked this out for 20 20 plus years, because you have walked this out in faithfulness, God has given you a platform that I'll never have in my lifetime because of this. You see, that's what people are enamored with in our lives. Do I believe in temporary physical healings? Yes. Will I pray for those? I will, I will empty the machine gun round praying for those, for people. But at the end of the day, you know what the world needs to see in us? They need to see us walk through hopeless situations with hope. They really do because that's Jesus.